Welcome to the Inexplicable Thoughts Podcast. This is your host, Franklin. I'm joined today by my co-host, Matthew. How you doing, everybody? Jeremiah. What's up? My boy, Max. What's goody? <laughs> uh, excited to, to start this pod off with some clean audio for once, which is rare given uh, some of the technical difficulties we've had in the past. Um, super, super excited to, to share our thoughts on some of the issues and some of the concepts we've been thinking of. Um, and, and we apologize for not being there. On the pod delivery last uh, last week, but I'll eat that one. Matt's knee was cooked, um, and then Max Max definitely had the uh, the vid last week, which was a, an unfortunate situation. Um, how is your knee, by the way? Um, still recovering. It's still swollen a little bit, but it's it's on the road to recovery. Have PT for another five six weeks, and then should be back to back to one hundred percent. Bros, week to week. <laughs> He's on a 10-day. Yeah. <laughs> Bro, how did you do that shit again? Bro, so at the start of the pandemic, all the gyms were closed. So I was in my apartment building doing workouts, aerobic workouts, three times a day. And I was doing it on concrete in my apartment because that's... Oh, what, hell no. It was rug over concrete. And His knees was screaming. Then I got home and was doing two-a-days with Peloton and lifting. No. And then just... Like, fuck my shit up. Yeah. Like, ended up just going too hard on the Peloton and then just partially torn. And then from there, I've just been... And then I walked around with it and was, like, working out on it for a year. So it was partially torn all of last year. And then it got to the point in December where I was like, okay, I have to go see what's good. And so they just did a minor scope. But Damn. Yeah. What are you training for? <laughs> Clearly not for women. <laughs> I'm just doing, you know, three a day. Yeah, just cause, just cause. Hey, the Wisconsin basketball team might need him. Exactly. <laughs> Football yeah, team too. So yeah. He goes back to campus and they all think he's an athlete anyway. There's only eight got black guys on the campus. So I was getting when I was in college, I was getting asked by dudes on the team if I was on the team. I was like, okay. They don't know. <laughs> he was there with Melvin Gordon. I'm weak. <laughs> Uh, they are not a diverse school. That is very, very, very on point for them. <laughs> yeah, it's a toughie. <laughs> um, Mr. Cleveland State. <laughs> yeah, we don't even have a football team. <laughs> uh, honestly, the 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 joke, the running joke at my campus was undefeated since '64. <laughs> Jesus, didn't have a football team. <laughs> So it's like we couldn't take a loss. It's, it was just all dubs at that point. Um, and we once, de- once again have to do the weekly fit check for Matt since he always wants to come in yep. and, uh, and drip on us real quick, though. Pause. <laughs> 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 like me, me, Jay, and Max right now are in like hoodies, a crew neck, bumming and some it. sweats, bumming it. This nigga's over here looking like Kanye West himself <laughs> with the all black, different shades, trying to put yeah. off a fit, fresh haircut. He said, he said it's Valentine's Day next week, you know, got to let him know that I'm still a free agent. <laughs> the knees may be torched, but, you know, Lance Stevens still got a contract. I can get a contract. <laughs> Bro, just becoming correct in all contexts. <laughs> Always. Um, but speaking of uh, Kanye and celebrities right now, um, him and his situation today with uh, Kim Kardashian is something that I really wanted to touch on. I just wanted your thoughts in regards to, you know, the role of the ex in the breakup in regards to how he's playing that role right now. I mean, I, he's just kind of playing into a stereotype, I think. Like, at some point, he just has to acknowledge that there are laws that kind of set the precedent for this, and he has to abide by said laws. Um, I, I am a Kanye fan, <laughs> and I'm saying that at, at some point, though, like, specifically with this situation, he is getting divorced, whether he likes it or not. And he has to find a way to reconcile with the mother of his children mm-hmm. and probably do that with outside of the public eye. Yeah. It's, it's on him right now to bring it in the public eye. I don't <clears> think <throat> we should even know anything about the situation, let alone know as much as we do. My biggest problem right now with how he's handling this is while he's always been a public person, I think the children being involved in this situation in the way that optically it's just not the best and with him him and, and how old his kids are now like they're learning things and remembering things like you don't really want some of your first formative years being spent during an ugly divorce and then more importantly like 
your kids will get bullied off of this. Like, someone's going to bring it up, like, yo, Kim used to get slutted out, like, that's your mom, like, then she went through the messy divorce, Kanye's a fucking da-da-da-da-da, and it's like, yo, like, as a father, you should try and lessen the blow later down the line by just being as respectful as possible. It's never going to be good for those kids. No. Because Kanye and Kim are both egomaniacs. Yeah. That's never going to change. Like, those kids are going to be successful at whatever they do. I think we have to... Because they have money, but, like, they're always going to be fucked up in the head, though, because... But I even look at, like, just look at Michael Jackson's kids. Like, they had to, like... Disappear to even like try and get away. Mm-hmm. I couldn't tell you that what was they look like. Shit. That was not the same. I feel like Kanye's getting hoed, like kind of like the flip side of what you said. Like, because I'm not a Kanye fan, yeah. but I think Kim's hoeing him. I think there's a lot going on behind the scenes that we just don't yeah, know about, right? Right. Um, but I just think that, and, and Matt and I were talking about this on the walk up here. The BF never wins the breakup. Like, let's just be for real. It's never... Like, dudes don't win the breakup. Like, that's not what happens. Like, we have to, as men, just take that L and move on. But um, I think yeah. for him right now, just the way he's playing things out, he'll look back on it and regret how he handled certain things um, long term. But I think mm-hmm. the role of a father in a lot of situations is a very difficult one that we just don't talk about enough. And so for me, I think he needs to just, like, take a step back. And I feel like we've been saying this for a couple of weeks now since the first pod last month where I was just like, dog, like, this looks ugly. Like, this is a wrap. So, um, yeah. we'll see, though. But on the brighter side, super, super happy for Rihanna uh, and, and Aesop Rocky officially having a kid. Aesop Rocky settling down, being a family man, swears he is me, you know. Was this common knowledge? What like, the people know that they were dating? Yeah. Yeah. She had been very low-key about it, and they had been spotted in New York together, but they hadn't been like, publicizing that they were. Because I'm trying to think about, if I, did I know that or not? Because I, I was uh, so shocked. One of the, mag- it was like People Magazine or Complex did like a timeline of their dating history, like through the breakups and everything. Yeah. I didn't realize how long they'd been back together. It was like, damn near, it's been damn near two years. I thought it's been like eight or nine months, and it's like, no, like they got to back together end of 2019, early 2020. And I was like, it's literally almost been two years, but they've been pretty private about it. And and I love that because it's like, yo, just respect my space and and leave me alone to, you know, mature and and grow. And and I love the whole movement women are kind of making out of it where they're like, we can like explore ourselves and figure ourselves out and then Mm -hmm. still have time to like start a family, which is true because I would want you to be, you know, who you want to be when you, you know, start to have kids and make that jump or that leap right um but it's just funny because it's like it's asap yeah like, like no one expected asap <laughs> maybe i just, just forgot we were, like or... good for him like love that for you but come on now. like no one expected to be asap rocky they're not going to be a thing though their relationship is not going to last wow you, you calling that now? <laughs> i think they're both toxic wow i i put rihanna in the the pandora's box section um, if you know what that means. Please elaborate. Um, yeah, please. Her, right now, top two list is her and Ariana Grande in regards to just notoriety in the Pandora's box situation where, like, any nigga that hit <laughs> started acting a little different. <laughs> wow. Big Sean went left after he hit uh, Ariana Grande. Drake, Chris Brown, and Aesop Rocky been on Rihanna. So, I mean, either it's like... They drinking her sweat type vibes. Wow. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> Next. Because <laughs> yeah, to be for real, like Drake, Drake's hurt. He's been hurt. He's been tr- like, you know how good of box you got to have or how much of a vibe you have to be as a person for Drake to go on national TV and try and win you back in front of the stands and have like a history of like, yo, you are the one for me. And then even with like Chris, like Chris was pressed about her. He eventually got pressed <laughs> about Carucci. And then with Ariana Grande, it's like <laughs> every six months it was like she, she caught another one. <laughs> so she, Pandora's box you're saying is like undefeated bitches. Like they just have a different kind of hold on. Yeah. Things. It's like you don't know what you're going to get when you open it. But like once you open it, you can't close it. Like you've been mm. with a girl where like you didn't know, didn't know what to expect, and then you hit, and then you're like, damn. 
Like, I'm in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I'm locked in on her. Yeah. Like, yeah. I've been in that situation where I was like, oh, like, let's catch a vibe. And then we hung out and then we, like, hooked up. And I was like, we're going to see each other a lot in the near future. <laughs> so, you think Ariana Grande got that kind of hold too? Yes. 100%. So, who else besides it's, Big Sean? Her history is long. Mac Miller. Mac Miller, P. Dave, P. Davidson. That one chore- choreographer. You're right, you're right. Like, she's got a history of, like, dudes just being, like, you know, like, she's... Like, Pete would still hit to this day. Let's be for real. Yeah. What did what happened to Big Sean? You said he went left? Dog, he's on that, like, neoliberal, like, hippie shit now. Like, after... He's, he's I know he fell off. I haven't heard from bro <laughs> in a minute. He's with Janae. Yeah. Are they, though? You ain't seen one picture of Yeah, are they still together? Yeah. I don't know. I didn't think so. Then he, she, posted on, she posted him on her IG. That's a weird relationship, dude. <laughs> well, I mean, they're just, they're like friends, You could too. be friends. I mean, when, you, like, got, when you, yeah. you got a man tatted on you, it's kind of like... She's, but like she's probably the epitome of the Pandora's box of modern times. They have one of the best collab albums I've ever heard. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, twenty eighty eight times days. Dummy, underappreciated for those of you that don't know. You put that, that on, man. smoke a little bit with a girl, catch a vibe. Fucking amazing. Yeah, dog. That's on the that's on the sex playlist for sure. <laughs> wow, couple songs off there. Thousand percent. You got a playlist? See, I, I have had a playlist. I haven't updated it. I'd say probably in around like <laughs> a year. I, I need to get on that, though. You reminded me. I think it is important to have vibes. You fuck without music? Bro, um... Y'all fuck without I, music? I found myself, yeah. I yeah. Found myself mm-hmm. fucking to television a lot. Dude, see, that that's what I was going to say, is I need some sort of background noise, noise? like going on. It has a good activity. Yeah. Like, Y'all weird. Y'all weird, man. Fam, I need something to like, Why? I need to lock in and I need something in the, like, it's the same way when I do work at work. Like, I have a podcast in or music, or I just need something in the background. And I literally get into situations where like, I'll have a girl over and we're watching a movie on the couch. And then I'll be like, yo, let's go to my room. Because you know what type of time it is. And like, the first thing I do is turn on my TV. And so many times I'm like, I need to just have this pre pre-prepared Cause that like awkward, like little gap where you're like, it's hot and heavy, and then you're like, oh, give me three minutes to you know pick the right show or <laughs> put on a movie and make sure like the volume's the right. That's why you just gotta roll with the moment, bro. Like, I if, love that if she wants the the full vet experience, she needs to she needs wow. to let me set the vibe. Not for wow. real. Like in my new place, when I when I get it set up, I'm, I'm having the the LED lights behind the TV, and I'm getting a projector. So there's gonna be a projector on one wall for the movies, and then I'm gonna have the TV on the wall, uh, the other wall <laughs> for the TV, like, uh-huh. movies, like uh, the Netflix sessions. It's gonna be a vibe. Yeah. Get it all set up, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> my my new pad's gonna be the Elite Bachelor pad that I've been I've been looking forward to that I can just like use as like a safe harbor um, for like all the other bullshit that's going on in, in my life. But uh, back to the <laughs> all right. Rihanna ASAP <laughs> Rocky thing. Um, one of the things that it kind of made me take in consideration was the concept of um, parenthood. And, and one of the things I want to talk to you guys about is um, I was actually having this conversation with a friend this week. But did your parents help you pay for college? Yes. Yeah. Did yours? Okay. Mm-hmm. So mine, mine did too. And so we were getting into a conversation because she had um, a lot of blowback recently with people making fun of her. For having her parents help out. And so my biggest thing with that is I've always said to my parents, um, I did not ask to be here. <laughs> Y'all got horny and had sex one day and I just popped out nine months later. So like you're still responsible for me until you die, like regardless of how you feel. <laughs> right. I'm sorry, like I'm not right. taking on student debt. Like that shit is like I, I listen to some of my friends and like how much money they owe. And I'm like, I wouldn't pay, pay either. Like all the people joking on social media, it's like if you owe two hundred thousand, like I'm not paying that. Like you, you can get it out the mud. Like I'm sorry, like, yeah, <laughs> like, get it back in blood, my guy. Like, yeah, 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 it's not happening. Like, I, and, and second of all, I would never have gone to school knowing I was gonna owe that much money. I'm makes sorry, no makes no sense. Yeah, dudes, be like, yeah, I'm, I owe five hundred. I'm like, that's a house. People just right. ignored, the, like they ignored the price tags when you get into that level of debt. I think that there should definitely be a cap, and it should have been like you know federally mandated. You can only go into debt this amount yeah. in college. But but, like, it's, but it's in the government's best interest to have you like in that case for them to have you be in debt and operating from that. Because you're always gonna owe. 
Yeah. In the in, like in the idea of the government's purpose is to enslave its people. <laughs> yep. But, you know, but like, I uh, it always reminds <laughs> me of the convo my brother had with one of his friends, and he, this dude was dating a girl, and she had like three hundred thousand in debt, and my brother was like, I simply would just break up with her and, and walk away. And so this is something I actually wanted to ask you guys: How much is too much debt for your partner? Oh man. I mean, I feel like there are a lot of things that factor into that because if you're Depending upon the amount that of debt that you've incurred, if you're ending, if you're making a six-figure salary, or that's the track that you're on, and you're going to be, and you have a strategy to pay it back, um, then I think it's worth the conversation. In terms of the actual number, I don't know, because I, I guess I don't have a context for how, for how that's going to weigh further in your career. You know, and I know there are implications for it, but if you're making timely pay- payments and you're responsible with it, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a deal breaker for me. But I guess that really depends on. Are you coming out making sixty grand, trying to pay half a million dollars worth of debt back, or are you making half a million? Yeah, and that's I, what you're trying to. Work I'm with. similar, but I, I also do have like a rule of thumb. If you're like post med school, post OT, PT, law, law, and you know that I've been dating people mostly in the last six months that have master's degrees, so like there's a high probability that they have student loans. Um, if you're making like good money post grad because you're working in a very you know high level profession. Mm-hmm. I understand it, and that there's some leeway there. But respectfully, like if you have a bachelor's degree in like philosophy and you owe more than fifty thousand dollars, like we can talk another day. Like you know what it is. <laughs> yeah. He said you can't get hit by a car. <laughs> but I like I think of relationships as an investment, and more importantly, it's a it's a it's emotions mixed into a business um, relationship. And at the end of the day, like there are terms and conditions. And like, yes, you do have feelings involved, but one of the things that comes with those terms and conditions is like, if we get married one day, like your debt is my debt. Mm-hmm. And uh, if I know you're a responsible enough person and you're like paying down things down and, and you have some sort of plan or right. um, like foresight into what's going on, like that's cool. But like one of the, the number one reason for divorce is financials. And I feel like a lot of people downplay how serious you need to be on, this, on in, in regards to being on the same page as partners. And so I just like I tremor at the fact that like, there's probably couples out there, and it's like between the two of y'all, you got like seven fifty. It's like dog. Like I would not sleep if I knew I owed seven hundred fifty thousand yeah. of them things. Like that's just crazy to me because it's like imagine you went to med school and your girl went to like get her master's at like UCLA or something. Mm-hmm. Like you owe dumb money. You got to be responsible and you got to have a plan, but. There is a number. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be honest. There is a number. A number yeah. like, it, it, it might not like, know it, but like you hear it, like when you hear it, you'd be like, yes. Yeah, <laughs> but it's also like you got to be responsible enough to understand the deal going into a relationship. Yeah. Like, because I personally don't believe on like bailing when it gets rough like that. No. So it's like you got to be responsible going in, but like it's tough. It's a tough conversation because like there is a number. Like if you're in debt, like, over six figs, <laughs> like yeah, mul- multiple all... six figs or something like that. Like we have to have a conversation. Yeah, I'm also. You're also talking to dude. Like I've come to terms with the fact that with where my career is headed, like I will. I think when I get married, I'm gonna openly tell my wife, like if we get to forty and have kids, and you just don't want to work anymore, cool. But like in order for us to be in that position, two hundred fifty thousand dollars in debt is just not gonna happen. I'm sorry. Like you mm-hmm. can't. You just can't. Like people who are like, oh, I want to retire early. I'm like. Retiring early with debt is crazy. Like it doesn't make any sense. So it's like <laughs> I'm yeah. trying to I'm trying to be chilling at fifty. Like that's the that's goal for me. Like yeah. you know, like when those videos, it's like, oh, what do you what do you do? Like you go to a nice car and say, like, what do you do? And it's like, oh, like I don't work. My husband works. And it's just like her and a Ferrari. Like you can get that. It's a mood. But two hundred fifty thousand dollars in debt isn't going to get you there. And it's like if mm-hmm. I'm, we're working to have like the life we want to for kids. And, and once again, this is back, back off of the parents' conversation. Like if we want to have the life that we both envision, like, being in debt is not part of that. Like, if we have debt on the yeah. house, that's cool, because we can, it, it's where we live, like, we could pay that off, but, like, yeah. Owen, uh, what's it, Sally May, or whatever the fuck it's called, like, it's just not, yeah, it's not ideal. Um, <clears throat> so, whenever I talk to people about student loans, I always think it's funny, because all four <coughs> of us are minorities, and, like, our parents help, but I've mm-hmm. talked to a lot of, like, my white friends, and they're like, why would my parents help? And I'm like, you didn't ask to come into this world. They've sent you to school. Like, you could have just been a bum and, like, coded in your basement and did some shit and just 
got a job without a degree, but you went to college, you went to get a degree, be successful, and be a part of corporate America. And it's like they at least could have helped you, you know, get that head start even, you know what I'm saying? And then more importantly, I think of it in the sense that your success indirectly is reflected on your parents. So like they take a lot of pride in your accomplishments and it's like if they can do something to make your experience during college easier, one of those things is money. Because like we all now work full time and we understand the stress not having yeah, money has. What? Like if all of us had an extra M right now, like... We'd be in a different mood. Like, you would have to talk yeah. to me differently. <laughs> <laughs> so not wanting your parents to help is ridiculous. That's yeah. such a stupid take. But I had, like, I had people that were, like, from my high school. Um, and their parents would have, like, second homes in, like, Florida or, like, wherever. Yeah. And then they'd be, like, figure out college and grad school on your own. And it's, like, why would you have the second house and not help your kids out there? Because, like, clearly you've got mm-hmm. it. Yeah. So it's, like, why not pitch in? Um, I feel like the, the mindset from parents too that I've heard more common is like, they got it out the mud so then when they build this life for themselves they want their kids to get it out the mud too rather than let me make your life easier um, and I've never I mean I've understood the values that you're trying to instill in your child when you do that but that's not personally how I'm going to raise my kids like that I mm-hmm. you know I was grateful to have my parents in, invest in me in so many different ways from high school through college um, and so I would never say to my kid like you need to figure it out like, if, if it's a conversation around, you know, partial scholarships or working through that, then that's one thing. But to say, you know, you're just going to take out a couple hundred Gs in debt because I don't want to pay or don't want to figure out how to help you pay is, I don't understand what, you're, what you achieved. The world is too cold and too cruel to not help out niggas that you bring into the world. Yeah. Like, what, what especially, what? especially, like, if you yeah. love your kids, it's like, dog, like, I, I look at some of my friends having kids now and I'm like, that was part of the reason why I want to discuss this. Like, I don't even know how I'm going to handle that when it happens. Because I'm like, yo, I will kill for you, for real. Like, Fast. I look at how my friends look at their kids now. I'm like, <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready to get to that level. Right. It's like, I'm going to be with all the smoke. Um, I was listening to a podcast recently, and his daughter's like two or three. And he's like, I threw a birthday party. Other kids were trying to come up and touch her and shit. And I was like, yo, I will square up with you right now. And I feel like I'm going to be in the very a very similar vain as him where like i'm gonna be not protective but like that's my kin like i'm gonna be mm-hmm. looking out for for their bet well-being and i think that that translates into the college part like i want to see my kid be successful have a career and then start their own family and one of the best ways of like putting them in position to do so is to help them financially like mm-hmm. i never felt like my entire like standing or foundation was built from my parents but like they are there as support um, and I think that with proper support, you can achieve a lot more than, you know, figuring things out on your own. And, and realistically, like, your role as a parent is to help provide for who you brought into this world. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I always look at, and I was curious what your perspectives were on this, but, like, what are some realistic expectations that you had on your parents? Or what, are, what were the expectations you had with your parents? And then how do you think that's going to play into your expectations as a parent in the future? I don't know if I had any expectations on my parents. Like I, going to your games, let them rock. Oh, visiting yeah, you. Yeah, I, that was an expectation, I guess. Like coming to my games for sure, but like, I don't know. I think like for for my kids, like expectations that I'm gonna like assume. Yeah. For them, is definitely like the same thing. Yeah. In that in that sense, like going to all their games, like just looking after them, but not like to a point where it's like cradling them. Yeah. Because that's that's the other part Babying. of the conversation is like, like the you definitely want your parents person. to baby you, which like like my mom for example like definitely like was always babying me mm-hmm. in the sense of like just always making sure like my financials were correct like because um, my mom works in finance so it's like always making sure my shit was correct yeah. like in every in every facet to a point where like like I wish she hadn't always been so hands on you know because I would like to learn some shit on my own but. So that's something that like I would do differently, but um, yeah, like in terms of expectations, I guess coming to my games like the only thing I would expect or I would have expected. What about you? Um, I think one of the things I really appreciate about my parents is that they treated my sister and I like adults when we from when we were very small. Mm. So in terms of you're the oldest, right? Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. So just having very obviously it's it's tailored when you're a child, but my parents being very communicative about what was wrong or what they may be frustrated about, and I really appreciated that. And I think in nurturing an environment for my sister and I to really trust, 
mm. our parents. Like I've had conversations with my parents that I'm not sure most people have because that's how much I trust them and respect them and value their guidance. So I want to create that because I know that that a lot of the things that kids do when they're in college and in high school, they do because they don't necessarily know how to approach their parents about it or they may go down a path where you have a simple conversation with pops and it's smooth, you're fine. Um, but instead people try to go and not necessarily, they don't have that relationship or don't feel comfortable doing that. So I want to make sure that my child always knows that, you know, like I am your parent and you will respect me, but I'd much rather you come to me rather than fear me Yeah. when it comes to even around disciplinary stuff. Yeah. So that's definitely a way I want to show up for my kids as well. How about you? Um, I think the only real expectations I had were obviously, you know, like food and, and housing and <laughs> life, but also like Sessions. helping me achieve. Like put, if I'm trying to put in work to something, I wanted them mm-hmm. to be an asset. Like I didn't have like a mm-hmm. phone in high school. It was a, a weird situation. I didn't have a car. So like when I needed to get to workouts or get to like recruiting trips and whatnot, that like, it was vital that they were a part of that. Yeah. And I, like that's honestly yeah. the only reason I was able to like get to college, play sports, was because like my mom and my dad were able to take me to workouts, were able to um, take me out to visits and whatnot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that was like my big thing, and I know like even going back into like pay for college and stuff. Um, yeah. It doesn't make sense for me as a parent. Why would you want to make it more difficult for your child? Mm-hmm. Why would you want like what what are you holding this money? Yeah. If you have it, why mm-hmm. not spend it for your kid? What better use is there than to mm-hmm. give them that leg up? Or don't have a kid. Right. <laughs> I think like the parents that have the opposite mentality, they really just don't see like these families that have this real generational wealth, like real success, how much of a difference it really does make. Yeah. Well, I was going to say to go off mm-hmm. of that, I mean, you got to think about disproportionately who, who takes on student debt. I mean, it's one of the, it's one of the or the second largest um, facilitator of the racial wealth gap. Right, is that it's overwhelmingly brown, black and brown people that are taking out hundreds of thousands of dollars of student debt. Um, and then it's just a vicious cycle, like you said, that keeps us from you know, having the financial freedom that we want and that we want for our families. So. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to piggybacking off what you said. Um, I actually was just having a conversation at work with one of my directors, and he mentioned this website that um, he, ha- he is like familiar with and he's going to have his kid do. But you like pay a fee, and you essentially put in all your information and it'll match you with, they'll give you a list of schools based on the amount of money you qualify for, for scholarships. And it's literally like a draft system. And it's like, you can see like, oh, I'm gonna apply to these schools because they can offer me this much money. And I asked him, I was like, how long has this been around? And he's like, 13 years. I was like, we were in college and we didn't even know this thing existed. Like I would have, I, my decision to go to my school or my alma mater might've changed had I known, well, I could have gone to this school in Nevada or like this school in Miami mm-hmm. or, NYU or wherever it may be just because I'm black parents have a certain whatever I went to this school my ACT scores are this my GPA is this but like because I didn't know that information that's just another opportunity for people to get those resources that they need and and it's not even like for me uh, I'm not even trying to make that a race thing but it's just like a resources thing Mm -hmm. which is technically correlated with race but it, it, just having that information makes a huge difference in your experience and your ability to propel your life to, in a new direction. And I think that, you know, from a parental perspective, it's just like, why not, you know, push them in that direction or, or help them get better or be better. Um, and so for me, in regards to the expectations, um, there was a lot of expectations put on me as a kid, which is why I skipped grades, started school early, all that stuff. And I think that my biggest expectation from my parents was to you know, give me the, the environment and the room to be myself. And I didn't really think I got that as mm-hmm. a kid because I was constantly on, like, even now in my life, like, you guys see, like, I'm constantly doing something. Because, like, I grew, up in an, right. I grew up in an environment where, like, it was always go, go, go. And so, like, even now, like, re, like reverse engineering that so that I feel comfortable taking a, a break and a pause and, and not have, feeling like anxiety when I have to, like, do something. Like, the fact that I sit down on my couch doesn't mean I'm being lazy. It just means I'm taking rest. Mm-hmm. I think I, my expectation as a parent when I you know, have kids is to be better at giving my kids the space to be themselves. Cause I think that when I talk to other people and how they grew up, like certain things didn't go a certain way because their parents were like, you're going to figure this out. And like, and it's similar to what you said, Max, where like you had things that your, your mom baby do about mm-hmm. that you wish you would have figured out on your own. I think that that's a huge part of being a parent is like, you right. are there as the support. I think that's the biggest key here is mm-hmm. you're the support, but like they have to do things on their own and you just have to right. give them the right resources and tools to do that 
Exactly. Um, but it'll be interesting. Um, one of the things that I've always taken in consideration is when I do get married, like I want to do couples therapy before I get married. But then again, I also want to do therapy based on um, like family therapy, therapy before I have kids. I was kind of curious what your perspectives are in regards to, you know, what you see that looking like in your life. Like, will you have that conversation? Will you have that sit down? Because I feel like a lot of people just go into the conversation of kids based on are we financially ready? And it's like, I think that that has to be in conjunction with, are you emotionally ready to be a parent? Mm. He's speaking. He's speaking. <laughs> so, are you, guys, are you guys prepared to have that combo with your potential partners? I mean, Max, you're looking into moving in. Bro, definitely. And that's probably something that we'll do. Like, the therapy thing, I think couples therapy is, like, amazing. Yeah. Especially these days. Like, shit is just different. Everyone's fighting demons. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> shit is different these days. I think it's necessary. So, I'm, yeah, I definitely will. And, and we've definitely talked about, like, definitely plan on doing that for sure. What about you? Um, couples ther- therapy hasn't really ever been on my radar, other than, like, if there were issues. Um, I definitely see how it could be beneficial. I'd be curious to learn more about, like, how preemptive therapy yeah. would assist mm-hmm. in a marriage. But in terms of just, uh, like, emotional preparedness for kids, I think it's so much more than just financial. It is it, it, lifestyle. Like, are you prepared to handle this? Leave the streets. This Twenty-five and eight. Twenty-five to eight jobs yeah. that you got going on, which is being a parent. Um, We've been ready to leave the streets, Max. <laughs> <laughs> I am tired of this. Right. <laughs> um, streets played out. Just got to learn Chicago in the winter. Oh my god. Can't be running out here on a Saturday like this, my my God. <laughs> One of the things I really take into consideration with the and, and, and you said it best, the preemptive therapy is the way I look at it. Is I talk to people in my life about therapy and they're like, "Oh, why are you going?" And it's it's not a bad thing. It's just more of I go to the gym because I need to stay in shape. Mm-hmm. So like, why not take care of myself mentally? And so I usually have like one weekend a month where you know I I, I get up, I work out, I eat, go to therapy, hit the chiropractor. I get a pedicure, I get a smoothie, and then by, by the time then it's like 2.30 <laughs> and it's like I have a whole day to like run errands or do whatever. And I do that because it's it's going back to what I said earlier, like I need that re- relaxation, I need that time to reflect, be myself, whatever it may be. And so mm-hmm. um, I think more people should look into it before making like major life decisions. And like similar to what I said earlier in regards to uh, your kids didn't ask to be here, so like you need to be prepared to be- like bear the full responsibility of having them and being responsible for their lives because realistically like until a kid's like 13 mm-hmm. they can't really do anything like be, be serious like the first year you're feeding them whatever yeah. terrible twos any other threes four five six and then they go to school but like even when they're at school like the innocence that kids have for like the first 10 to 13 years doesn't allow them to operate at the same speed that we're currently you know somewhat equipped to do and I even think that in like 10 years, I'll be more equipped for life than I am currently. But a lot of people just want to like go into that decision without having and addressing those issues. And so mm-hmm. um, I think one of my favorite accounts on Twitter, he's the baby father for Kalani. And he like openly tweeted about therapy in regards to parenting like a year and a half ago. And he was just like, there's a lot of things about yourself that you don't know until you have kids. And it's like, if you are not prepared to address that when that arises, then it's like, what are you going to do? That's facts. Um, and it's similar to the, <laughs> the Pandora box thing. It's like, once you open that box, like there is no going back. Like you kind of have to just like deal with it mm-hmm. at that point. Yeah. Um, and so it, it, it's interesting. Um, and it's a very complex issue. And one of the things I really look at that in regards to, you know, being prepared as a parent is, do you think you guys have owned the ghosts of your adolescence? And I can expound on what that means if you if you need. Yeah, to. yeah, do that. Um, I, I just mean more so of you know we all like as I said earlier, um, we all have demons that we're we're dealing with in our own personal life. There's constantly stuff going on behind the scenes, and people always say like just because you can look someone in the eyes, you don't know what's going on behind their eyes. And so when I talk about owning the ghosts of your adolescence, a lot of us have you know things that we endured when we were kids that we might not necessarily talk about openly with our friends which we should um, but more importantly like you need to address that with your partner and then be prepared to what's the proper word be prepared to own that when you have kids because there's things that I have um, feelings about because of the way my father um, raised me 
that I know going into, you know, that chapter of my life, like I can't repeat those same Mm -hmm. decision-making skills that he had or the same environment or whatever it may be. Um, And so I'm curious, like, do other things that you noticed in your upbringing that you think you won't be doing, you know, with your kids? Like for me, I'm Catholic. I'm going to raise my kids in Catholicism. But the moment they're like, I don't want to do this, it's not a conversation for me. We don't have to go back. And so for me growing up, like my parents weren't similar to that. Like I'm spiritual, but like you don't have to like force things on people that they don't want to do. Like if I'm 13 and I tell you I don't want to do this, like we should just left it there. Like it should have been dead after that. Um, So what are some things that you think you're going to, you know, refrain from pushing into the next cycle of life? So I guess to answer the first question is, are you prepared to acknowledge the the ghosts or, you know, the things you may carry on your shoulders? But I think that that's an important part of the therapy conversation as well. Um, And so, I mean, I I have a therapist. I've had one for over a year, but that was a big, going back to your point, that was a big part of me on my wellness journey. I felt like it was all-encompassing. It's not only what I put in my body and what I like going to the gym, but also working through that and making sure I'm the best version of myself for myself, for my friends, for my family. Um, In terms of things that I don't want to see be repeated, I think my parents are incredibly loving and incredibly supportive. I think my dad is very disciplined and had a rigor when it came to working out and taking care of himself that he projected onto my sister and I, but that led us to have very complicated feelings about our own bodies and about body image and about like relationships with food. And I think that that's manifested in ways throughout our lives that he sees now and has learned from. And it's like, damn, I was out of pocket for this. And like, this has had lasting implications. Um, and we're both fine. But like, that's something that I know and continue to work through. And I think that for my, for my children, I want to support them in terms of body positivity. You are beautiful, beautiful in every facet all the time, right? Um, you know, you work out so you can reward yourself with the tasty meals that you want, with the desserts that you want, not to have this relationship of like, I have to look this way because otherwise I'm not valued or valuable or desirable, whatever that may mean. So I think that that's definitely something that I want to show up with as well. Um, and going off of that, we can save it for later, but something that I've appreciated about coming of age too is the way that you analyze and reflect your parents' marriage and like how they communicate oh, yeah. and the nuances of yeah. when you're home and watching what's said and what's not said before just versus kind of taking it as something that was just passing in the back and versus being able to say, well, now this is the reflection of how I view and value the relationships in my life, especially romantic ones. And it's like, okay, wow, where are the areas that I want to make sure I step up for my significant other ways that I didn't feel that I did see my parents do or that I didn't see. So that's something else too that has been very much so top of mind for me. That's one of the things, actually a great point. Um, That's one of the things I think about in regards to my failed relationships and even some of the interactions I have now with women is I kind of not even like highlight, but like I project, you know, similar aspects of my parents' relationship onto my partners. Not in regards to like, anything specific but in regards to the ability to support me I think that my mom was she would give her all towards towards my dad and I think as you get older a lot of the ways our parents grew up in regards to relationships isn't ap- applicable to modern relationships because a lot of women like then like their entire lives was a relationship like my mom was a lawyer but like at one point she quit practicing law to support my dad's business and worked for mm-hmm. my dad and then she retired after my dad's business closed um, and one of the things I look at is when my dad closed the business because none of us went to med school, um, he like up, up and packed like all his stuff one day and like moved to Michigan. And like my mom didn't move with him. Mm-hmm. She was confused because she was like, I don't know what's going on right now. Like I knew we were closing the office, but like I didn't know he already found another job. And to me, it was like weird because it's like, how did you guys not have that conversation? Mm-hmm. But it was like, that was their dynamic was like, my dad was kind of making the decisions and my mom was like rolling with it. So like three months later, my mom packed up the house. And my dad came, like, my dad was coming back on weekends, obviously, but he, like, would literally just eat shitty fucking gas station food and and McDonald's because he was in Michigan working, and he would come back on the weekends and stay with my mom. And then eventually my mom moved up there because they found a house. Um, They they rented a house for two years. Um, And so, for me, it was was the weird realization that, like, modern relationships aren't like that. Like, it's a very 50-50 dynamic. Oh, yeah. And being prepared to have more open and productive and constructive conversations with the women you're, you're being involved with was something that I needed to like really come to terms with. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, I look at it in the sense that like there isn't going to be a woman that moves the way my mom does in a relationship because they shouldn't be like a beck and call thing. Like 
when I say something, they don't have to do that. Like right. it's a conversation. It is right. a, a compromise. It's a it's a negotiation. Like you're, it's a relationship, and it should be you know ebbs and flows. Um, and so that's one of my things I think about. Like you said, Matt, where you can't really replicate those same mannerisms and conversations, and even in the things that I I remember when I was a kid looking back on it I'm like that was a little weird looking back on it or like that necessarily wouldn't fly now or that shouldn't have gone the way it did mm-hmm. um, and so in regards to the whole like owning some of the you know stuff in my past I think that that's a conversation that I want to have with my partner one day but more importantly it goes back to the point that um, I don't know what some of those ghosts are until I have kids um, and so do you think you're prepared I mean Max you're in a long-term relationship, about to move in. I mean, next thing you know, it's going to be 2023, 2024. And Crazy. You're getting down on one knee, and then you're going to have to have some conversations. <laughs> Crazy. Um, and so, like, what does that look like? Like, have you and your girl, you know, had just, like, some touch-and-go conversations about that? or About, like, what specifically? How will parent? or Just, like, next <coughs> chapter, like, being prepared to take that leap. I mean, you guys have been testing the whole living together situation. Yeah. Um, in terms of like, yeah, we, we've definitely had conversations, especially when you're at this point. Like, you yep. definitely talk about that often about what the like the future state will look like. Um, but, you, bro, like anything else, you never know anything until you're actually in it. But, um, so yeah, we've had conversations, especially at the point where we are. But I think just going back to, you know, like owning the ghosts of your adolescence and like, you know, what are you going to apply? It's interesting. Cause like, it's kind of the benefit of having both parents because like, like two, it's the benefit of having great supporting parents, like awesome parents, because even though it was great, you have this baseline of how you should be in a marriage. Like you can always pull something that you would do differently, mm-hmm. even with great parents. Like, like my dad was always like a, a swear growing up, like dude cuss all the, like all the time. And like, like around it, like around his kids and stuff like that. Um, like be, like best dad ever, right? Like he's amazing. But um, that's something that I would like do differently. Like I probably wouldn't do that like around my kids growing up or like, I don't know, to my wife, right? Like often. So that's like an example of something different I would do. But I don't know, man. It's tough. Like Franklin, you were talking about how like your dad – something about how your dad made you like would make you do things whereas you would be like I'm gonna let you rock if you don't want to do that whereas like my dad definitely did the same thing like made me do like I never wanted to play football really? when I first started playing football like I, I hated it like I did not want to play at all interesting he literally my dad like made me like I had no fucking what choice you, I was eight I was eight and I was like I was little bro I'm like I don't want to do this like I was afraid, right? Like, I don't want to play this. But, like, he made me, and it ended up being, like, the thing I love most right. in the world. So it's it like... got you to where you are today. Yeah, so it's like there's, there's some things that, like, I didn't like that, like, my parents did, but it helped me out so much in life that I'm going to apply. Yeah. Yeah. I tried to quit football so, uh, my freshman year of high school, and then mm-hmm. again my sophomore year of high school. Same. My freshman year, I didn't want to play either, bro, anymore. For they real. Me. So, like, yeah... <laughs> It was a whole thing. Um, myself, I think some of the like attributes, like or some of the traits I've seen from my parents that I wouldn't push. One of them is definitely um, in my family and extended family. Sports is is a very valued component. <laughs> um, we have a lot of athletes. Like my dad's family, I think four of his sib- himself and three of his siblings all went to play college sports. Shaw's diff. <laughs> yeah, my, I have several cousins <laughs> playing college sports right now. Um, so there's definitely an emphasis within the family. There's always size, strength, athleticism, <laughs> comparing kids and whatnot. Um, that's something that I think is extremely unhealthy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So I've seen yeah, those, yeah. like several of like, you know, like the less physically like, um, like talented cousins and family members yeah <laughs> they feel left out and right. I mean, that's not a, a, a real yeah. measurement of value in any right <laughs> but another thing i was in a very um restrictive household 
So my mom was very protective over me, and I look back and I was wilding, so I definitely understand. (laughs) (laughs) Like it was a situation like I was not like like I was not hanging out with people really. I did not have a phone. I was not communicating with like kids outside of school. So when I went to school, that's when people saw Jeremiah. When I went home, it wasn't like that. Um, I know she did that because she was she was really just wanted me to be successful. It definitely gave me the opportunity. Give me all the resources, books, whatever I like in the home to make me who I am today. It gave me the leg up. Like it was very obvious. Like <laughs> in school, like it felt different. But it socially, it just changes you. Mm-hmm. I think she definitely. Um, she was just bringing some aspects of her household. Right. And and that's kind of where where that came into play. But that's definitely something I've noticed. There's another layer with growing up biracial too. But that's a whole different. That's not for this topic. <laughs> it's not for this different conversation. Different cultures, bro. That's part of that the is, complexity right? of dating, even more so for like us, is that our our culture, like where how we grew up, plays into our relationships. And sometimes, like when you have that conversation with people, it's like yeah. you can't understand that if you didn't grow up in it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, even with you, like your girl's from a different culture, and it's like some of the things that she probably talks about, like you can't relate to it because you didn't grow up in it. Um, and there's there's just so many layers as you like quote unquote peel the onion, and so. That's why I'm a huge advocate for couples therapy before, before marriage and mm-hmm. family therapy before having kids because there's just a lot that you need to kind of put out in the open and, and deal with as you see fit. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but once again, people still have this stigma about therapy, which I think is complete bullshit. Um, so one of the things that kind of feeds into that was um, – I, I would like to say, you know, anyone listening, I would definitely consider it like even just trying it out. I'm a huge advocate for going to one if you don't like that therapist, going to another until you find one that fits you within your healthcare plans network. Um, but the recent passing of Miss U- Miss America, right, mm-hmm. or Miss USA, it, it brought up a lot of conversation about the whole role of the strong friend. Um, and, and so a lot of people are like, make sure you check up on your strong friend, which, you know, I get, but like, there's not a lot that you can say. Like, I, I'm a bigger advocate for, you know, check up on your strong friend by like pulling up with like something that they like and hanging with them or like checking in by like physically being there rather than sending a text. Cause like 20 people could text me, but like that one person who actually comes to see me mm-hmm. means 10 times more than all those 20 texts combined. Yeah. Um, and so what what do you think is the concept of the, the strong friend and the, and the friend group? Who do you think that person is? That's what I would ask first. Like, like, what do you mean by that? You know, just the person who's like dependable, always there, um, mm. constantly has their stuff together. The one that looks like the most composed of the friend group. Yeah. Um, generally it's probably the person who has like a lot of shit going. Like I, I'm going to call her out on this podcast, but my friend Hannah back in Cleveland, she's, what I would consider the strong friend because she's the one that everyone like talks to about relationship problems, family problems, whatever it may be. And Mm -hmm. she's the most composed in regards to, you know, she's in um, PT school right now and she's about to finish and she'll be like 26 with the PD uh, with a doctorate. And she, you know, has saved up money and is like doing this, doing that. And she'll have a great start to her career in the next few years. And she's probably the most polished out of the whole friend group. Mm -hmm. But like when I talk to her, she's usually the person that comes to me and tells me about like what's actually going on behind the scenes and like her and I have had, had conversations about therapy and like what's going on with her mentally mm-hmm. um, and so optically she's the strong friend because she's composed has her stuff together looks like she's got a great future in front of her but like behind closed doors it's like I'm dealing with a lot while trying to maintain you know my career my family life this that you know balancing friends and stuff like in that notion like her and I had a whole conversation about um, how difficult it's been to maintain certain friendships as we've gotten older just because of the complexity of, you know, people moving to new cities, starting new relationships. Like, she has a friend that has a boyfriend that doesn't like hanging out with that are, like, my home, like, that Cleveland friend group. And it's, like, how you maneuver that. And, and just the things that go into life that makes things harder. And so her and I have a lot of great conversations. And part of my problem with her being the strong friend in that friend group is there's not someone like me or someone else to kind of step in and be like hey like what do you need from me to help alleviate some of the stress you're feeling right now um and so for me it's in your friend group like what does that person look like the strong friend quote unquote and some some friend groups don't have that friend like i'm, I'm open to that that thought because realistically like if everyone's quote unquote 
put together like everyone's doing their equal share in the friend group. Yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking while you're talking, like, who out of my friend group would be that a strong friend? I don't know, man. And, like, it's hard for me to answer that because I feel like I feel like none of my friends are, like, that true strong friend that, like, is always, like, always put together, like, always seems like shit's sweet. Like, and I think that's the beauty of my friendships, honestly, because, like, I think that shit's real. Like, I think if you are that strong friend, like, obviously it's not, most times it's, they're not really strong. Yeah. So I feel like I don't, I can't really think of a friend of mine who is, like, like that truly. Yeah. I don't know. I'm struggling to think of that one. I was gonna say, I mean, I feel like in my in my friend group from home. Well, so first, I think kudos to you, Max, because that's important to say that to Franklin's point, you all are doing your job in terms of supporting each other and creating mm-hmm. a space where you all can share those vulnerabilities and actually not have to, you know, feel as though you can't talk about them or if there's not space mm-hmm. for you to talk about them, only you know, only other people's problems. I think with my friend group at home, um, one of my boys has just has just gone through a lot over the past couple of years and. He was strong because, or I, I gave him the strong title because he didn't, which is wrong because he didn't he didn't verbalize it. He didn't really know how to talk about it. I think our friendship had been, we were a squad. Of, we are a squad of four, but he, in terms of being really vulnerable with us, had really never taken that step. And then he had a couple of things in life happen to him, and I think they put in perspective that life is incredibly fragile, yeah. mm-hmm. and that to have people that will show up for you and that love you is a is a blessing. That's not a guarantee, and so you have to do right by those people and invest in them the same way that they invest in you. And so I think that that changed him to say, okay, like these are my niggas, like let me show up and be vulnerable with them and actually support them and, and kind of do these things that before I would have held close to the guard because when people get close to me, I get hurt or something happens to them and I'm left to deal with the aftermath of that. And so mm-hmm. um, I think so too, like I'm trying to be, I'm trying to think about it and I don't, I don't, nothing's coming to mind, which I'm thankful for because that means yeah. hopefully that these environments are fostering the kind of French, healthy friendships that we want. Yeah. So like in, in Chicago right now, I think in my friend group, Chewy's probably the quote unquote strong friend. Um, he's got his career going for him, but he's also someone like when I had talked to him, you know, he's got stuff going, you know, in his head that he's trying to deal with. Um, and so I often see like his messages, like people reaching out to him about career advice or job advice or relationship advice. And like the number of people around the country that he's sort of indirectly supporting from um, not even an emotional standpoint, but just giving them feedback or mm-hmm. giving them someone that as an outlet to talk to. And I constantly think that, you know, I, I think he does a good job of making sure that's, you know, reciprocal, but it, it can be difficult long term, depending on who you are. Like not everyone's built for that. I think he's very <coughs> outspoken and communicative, communicative so that he doesn't let that cross that boundary or cross that line. But I think that a lot of people don't necessarily have the facilities to do that Mm -hmm. in in regards to that and then the other thing i look at in regards to the role of the strong friend is the balance and importance that's necessary between the strong friend and the quote-unquote like clown of the group like the person who's like the funny guy got Mm -hmm. the jokes like i think those people both are underrepresented in the friend group because a lot of people um think that because they're always joking or because they're always cracking you know smiles that everything's fine with them and it reminds me of the scene this past season, the last season of Insecure, where Kelly was like, why is it always jokes with me? Like, when she was trying to have a very real conversation about life and stuff like that, like, they were still clowning with her. And it was like, no, like, this is a serious topic. Like, I'm with the shit right now. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of weird because, like, the way they brought up that conversation during the season was, like, very, like, harrowing. Like, they went to their alma mater's, like, class reunion um, showcasing Issa. And for some reason, they thought she had died. So they did a memorial for her. And so she's like walking into this event and there's like pictures of her like in memorandum or like in memoriam for Kelly. And she's like, it's weird that like to that so many people, like I'm either that forgettable or like these are the things I think my like shining moments were. Mm-hmm. And she had like a very real like look in the mirror about like her role in the friend group. And that's why I think that those conversations should be broached to kind of, you know, facilitate you know, further growth within that, that friend group, more importantly. So, like, the one last thing I'll ask before we kind of hop off this pod is, like, what do you think your role is in the friend group? Oh, I'm definitely the... 
I'm definitely the voice of reason and like the logical. <laughs> um, For sure. Like I'm very, I'm very intentional with everything that I do, even the words that come from my mouth, even when we're joking around. And so I feel like that's reflected in um, like how I present with my friends. And I think just, I, and, and I appreciate like having a friend group that's well balanced to get people out of my shell, to get, that have people to get me out of my shell and get me out of my comfort zone. Because at times I think I can be very comfortable with my routine and how things are going um but and yeah i'm definitely and i'll be an enabler at times but definitely first response is the voice of reason and that is the glue guy that's the glue guy in every friend group easily yeah because i think of like i think of like like my niggas from cornell Mm -hmm. jake is definitely that guy he is like the he does like wild shit but he's definitely like the voice of reason for sure like in (laughs) in probably all situations so I, i feel that but were you gonna say anything else, Matt, mm-hmm. on your piece? I would say that I'm probably the the Joker. Like you said, like I'm always the one. Like, yeah, everyone would probably say that about me. I'm always the one like trying to be funny or say funny shit. But be know. me. Yeah, yeah. Supporter friend, but I'm definitely like the role of, of the, the clown for sure. I'd be an instigator at times. <laughs> you are, bro. <laughs> Hey, you're, you're pushing me to get off the streets, though, so hey, salute, salute to you for that. Sometimes you promote positivity. <laughs> um, I definitely think I'm the, the fun guy. I'm constantly, like, texting you guys with plans or, you mm-hmm. know, I'm trying to plan this trip for my birthday and stuff like that. Um, and I, I think that, that I think it's a fun role to be in because it's like you just, mm-hmm. you for the vibes. <laughs> the man with the plan. Um, and so I, I think that understanding your role in regards to your friendships gives you the ability to understand your dynamic but more importantly um, and my therapist was talking about this this week but um, to be more focused on how you fit into the dynamic of an environment is more important than going into an environment and trying to change the dynamic um, and so I think that a lot of people um, need to have very open conversations about like how they fit into their friend group and what's going on because a lot of people are like oh, this person doesn't like me or like, I don't really, like they don't do this with me or this with me or whatever it may be. And it's like, if you're having problems within your relationship, like you need to address that and understand like what your role is, you know? So the thing you just said, your therapist said that to you? Yeah. Never let that nigga or girl slide, bro. Never let them leave. Cause like, that's a gem. (laughs) No, bro. Like all jokes, all jokes aside though, like that is facts. That's probably like the realest thing that was said today because like that was always like my thing. Like, even with, like, not to go on a tangent, but even with, like, my friendships growing up, like, I always felt like I was trying to, like, force shit. Yeah. And it could just me be, like, me being, like, biracial in my upbringing and how I saw myself. But, like, I felt like I was always trying to, like, force my dynamic in the group instead of just, like, letting shit ride. Yeah. And taking it, like, knowing my part in the in the friendship. Like, that is so real, bro. Like, and when I when I started to do that... My friendships were much better. They were stronger. Yeah, like they were too. closer, tighter, all that, bro. So yeah. that's that's so true. She just wanted me to sort of, and it's something that I've struggled with my entire life. Similar reasons to yeah. you, not the biracial shit, but just mm-hmm. to like the dynamic and feeling forced. Is she points out that a lot of people have difficulty understanding that while you may want something to go this way or that way, or you may want the friendship to go this way or that way, like your job as the friend is to figure out how you fit. Like, people are going to invite you around once you figure out how you fit into the friend group because your absence will mean more than um, anything. You know, people will be curious why you're there. You're not there. Um, And and I think that that really goes towards, like, people know why you're there. Like, they know you're the the jokes guy. They know you're the the stable, you know, voice of reason. And they know your role. And they, they know my role. And it's like, we all come together and have a great time together because we all bring different things to the table. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest problem with a lot of people is that they're more concerned about changing the d- dynamic instead of adding to the dynamic. And it's like, hey, like you can't just come in and put all your table or all your stuff on the table. Like you need to understand like what part of the table is yours to eat off of. Um, and so for me, it's something that I think should be a more open conversation with people um, moving forward. But it's, a bar. It's, it's great to say that, but like yeah. having people actually do that is a different if you didn't listen to shit else on this pod, <laughs> that's a key takeaway right there. I was gonna say, but even going, even thinking about like our our friendship, we become very close in a very short period of time, and that was 
in a way that in a way that was very natural, but also just us meeting each other and complimenting each other very naturally, very well, and then just that being how we carry ourselves and love out together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you guys for listening this week. Uh, as always, remember to stay authentic. Thank you. <laughs>